0: You're listening to Classic Movies Live, the pre-recorded show where we talk about movies that just came out. And today's movie is I'm Thinking of Ending Things, the latest movie by Charlie Kaufman. Now, if you're a longtime listener, you will know that we have talked about Charlie Kaufman once before. But if you're new, uh, don't worry. We, You don't need to go and find, trudge up our old, old episodes if you don't want, but you should. But, um, yeah, this is going to be... This is the first time I think either of us has seen a Charlie Kaufman movie while well, it's new. I don't want to say in theaters because oh, well, right now there isn't really much in theaters. Anyway, this is a very strange movie and it's hard to talk about without spoiling. So there is a spoiler warning pretty early on. Uh, if you are interested in this movie, probably go and watch it and then come back. Uh, otherwise, here you go. Here's, here's I'm Thinking of Ending Things. And we're going to uh, start this one off by listening to a little bit of the musical Oklahoma. Here's a song from Oklahoma. The floor creaks, the door squeaks, and the mouse starts a nibbling on the broom. And the sun flicks my eyes. It was all a pack of lies. I'm awake, in a lonely room. I ain't gonna dream about her arms no more. I ain't gonna leave her alone. Going outside, get myself a around. You're listening to Classic Movies Live, the pre-recorded show where we talk about movies that just came out. And today's movie uh, came out last week as of this recording. Um, we are going to talk about I'm Thinking of Ending Things, which is, is this the first this is the first Charlie Kaufman movie since Anomalisa, I think, isn't it? Pierre, what do you think?
1: Um, if Anomalisa uh, came out in 2015, then yes, it is.
0: I think it did. So That's the animated yeah. one, right? Yeah.
1: With Dino you know Stamatopoulos. No, I really want to though. I'm I'm a that was with the because wasn't it produced with like Starburns Industries or something, which made Rick and Morty and Community or something like. That?
0: Maybe I don't know.
1: I I it heard something like that. So that's that that's what got me extra interested because those are like two of my favorite things put together. So
0: was it was interesting because it was like. One of very few animated movies, or not animated, adult movies that gets nominated for an animated feature award at uh, the Academy Awards.
1: Mm, yeah, so, like, true.
0: Um I had thoughts on it, but I will not spoil your enjoyment of that yes, movie. Yes, <laughs> please, thank you. But um, oh, apparently it only had like three actors in it too. That's interesting. Anyway, oh, cool. Um. Yeah, so I'm thinking of ending things. This is his first movie in five years and his third movie in a row that he's directed in addition to writing. So that's kind of cool because like, I mean, it, it's nice to see him working a little more as a director now because he's been a writer for ages. Uh, he launched Spike Jones's career in being John Malkovich, which people can find our episode on that. But like, he's, um, he's got... He's a really good writer. And I don't know he might have a very specific style, but like I don't know if I could necessarily recognize it because the most I've only seen one other movie that he's directed. And aside from that, I've seen plenty of movies that he's written, but those were done by different directors. So I wonder like how much of what I would think would be Charlie Kaufman's style is actually Spike Jones or Michelle Gondry, for example.
1: Yeah, it's hard to say. I do know he has a uh or usually he has a pretty active presence on 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 the sets, which is why he likes working with those two directors. Um so like I think I think do think a lot of the vision that goes into the the or at least a, a surprising amount of the vision that goes into the directing is is from him because it's very rare from what I've heard for writers to be on set when shooting. So yeah, I think that's that's cool. But like, if I had to be honest, uh, I, I like compared to his previous movies in terms of direction, I, I'd, I'd say this was more interesting, in my opinion. Um, because I, I, I always noticed because um, I, I like, you know, I loved the three movies I've seen are the Being John Malkovich, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and uh, Adaptation. They all kind of have this grainy look cheap look to them mm-hmm. in my opinion and I personally don't love that look and I, I kind of I I, I think it does a disservice to the script but then I also feel like it does kind of match the tone for what he's going for so I understand it but personally I don't like that type of like direction
0: well I don't know I, I have not seen Synecdoche New York which was his directorial debut but like I don't think synecdoche new york has that grainy look at all or like i would i would wonder if it does for sure because that grainy look is specifically like that's a trademark for spike jones like even though her doesn't actually have film grain it's still sort of <coughs> <coughs> excuse me it still kind of looks similar and um with eternal Sp- sunshine of the spotless mind i don't know that that's a signature of Michelle Gondry as well, but like that's that's also Michelle Gondry. Like he's doing that one. So I wonder if that's something that Charlie Kaufman keeps like if that's something that he even had much say in.
1: That's fair. Yeah. Maybe maybe he didn't at all. Maybe it's something he never really cared about. Yeah. He could he could just be more interested in making sure this (laughs) they don't vary from the script too much, which can happen with directors a lot as well which is why scriptwriters usually kind of get shafted in Hollywood. So yeah, that might have been the main thing. But
0: the movie was yeah. very slick. Like it looked, you know, this movie looked like a 2020 movie, which it was.
1: Sort of. I, I will say like from the start that I I really dislike. I, I like the look of it, but I, it has such a... Because for those that don't know, this is a Netflix production. And which is great because I feel like Charlie Kaufman's style kind of needs Netflix to like have any sort of success because his his movies, if I'm going to be honest, his movies aren't made for theaters.
0: He Uh, writes exclusively excellent low budget indie movies that need a high budget.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So like which is literally like the what Netflix loves uh, Mm -hmm. from what I can tell. So and what theaters hate. Exactly. Yeah. I like, I for example, I would never. I don't think I would have actually chosen to watch any of his past movies in theaters if they were re-released in theaters today. Maybe adaptation, just because I love that movie so much. But
0: definitely adaptation.
1: Yeah, but like for the most part, like that's and that's not because I want to see it on the big screen. It's just like it'd be cool to see again in a different uh, viewing. But it's not like if I see it in the theater, I'm gonna love it even more. So yeah, like. Uh, so I think that's great. Uh, it's great that it worked out. But I, yeah, the Netflix. I, I don't know if you've noticed this, Jeff, but like I feel like Netflix for me has always had this certain style in terms of lighting and. I think the uh, the biggest one is production design that I've noticed in all of their, or like I notice quite frequently in their productions. Like there's a few standouts, like Stranger Things. Uh, dark uh, House of Cards are are pretty good, but like if you kind of look at their cheaper like sitcom productions, this this kind of feels like it was made by the same team as like uh, I don't know if you've watched like uh, the latest season of Arrested Development or uh, that show with Drew Barrymore where she's a
0: zombie. Um, I not remember
1: the name. Oh,
0: it's it's on the tip of my tongue, but oh, the Santa yeah. Clarita Diet.
1: Santa Clarita, um, yeah. And like, and the same thing, there was another movie, uh, a movie with, uh, it was like a, a biopic on nat- the National Lampoon series. But anyways, like, that's not important. The point is Netflix to me has a very distinct style and in, in some of their relatively cheaper productions where it feels too much like a movie set or a, uh, like they're in a sound studio. Like for example, when they're in the car, they're in the car. Because like I'm gonna say this again, like off the bat. The car, they're in this car for like maybe 50 minutes of the movie. And not not really once did I ever buy that they were actually on the road.
0: No. And but, <laughs> maybe that was on purpose. I don't know if it was on purpose, but I think that a lot of like I think that helped the movie, or it helped like what this movie was going for. Because this movie is Without getting too much into it, because we still will, this movie is very surreal. It's extremely strange, and like it, this does not seem to be telling a story that takes place in a world that makes sense.
1: Yeah, that's a fair point. Like they might have been going, like it. It kind of felt like the entire movie was taking place in the if you remember kind of like the head the head of Jim Carrey in Eternal Sunshine the i remember the set the production was a little different for that stuff it felt a little surreal and this this definitely i i feel like had the same tone
0: yeah yeah in certain I would, parts i could definitely like if you told me this entire movie was a dream that would make sense
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> and honestly i don't well, I don't know if there's a real answer to that, but yeah. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, like, I, I guess like, okay, I'm I going to have a hard time awaiting this, but like, I don't, I didn't get the movie at all. Like, and that's, this isn't like a inception thing where like, I'm like, Oh, like, I don't just, so is he in a dream or not the whole time? This is like, I literally like cannot really, really comprehend what happened. And I very much like the, the only other times I felt like this was, in Mulholland Drive and Tenet and uh, both movies I didn't entirely love either because again I didn't understand anything
0: it's interesting that you say all of that because uh the next thing that I'm gonna do is I am going to have you give us as good of a summary of this movie as you can
1: oh perfect <laughs> okay so yeah from what I'll, I can I'll tell come in
0: with mine if you if, if you need me to afterwards
1: all right I'll do the best I can I think there's I know there's the guy from Breaking Bad who's Todd. Jesse Plemons. Jesse Plemons, who's driving, uh, he's driving with his girlfriend uh, that they've been together for seven months to uh, his parents' house to visit for the first time. And they live uh, on a farm and it is, they're basically in the middle of a blizzard, but they are inexplicably going out there on this day specifically to, yeah, to have dinner with them. And... Uh, the from the start the the female character I I'm sorry I can't remember her name either
0: her actress's name is Jessie Buckley the character's name is the young woman
1: oh okay she never got a name good
0: uh, she got that, several
1: that makes it easier yeah yes that's true so the the young woman I guess ends up uh, we we kind of follow her and we're tracking through her mindset and she has an internal narration of. She kind of keeps repeating in her head that she is thinking of ending things with Jesse Plemons' character. So, and basically, we kind of we see them drive to the parents' place for about thirty minutes, where they they get into uh, conversation topics of life and death, uh, the meaning of life, stuff like some very deep stuff, very Charlie Kaufman esque stuff, and then eventually they get to the parents' place and. And then I, I'm just gonna say because uh, there's no real way to describe it. They go there, they have dinner, and then things start to get really crazy and start making no sense. I, I think you can take it from here.
0: Pretty. That's about as good as and, uh, a summary as anything else. Uh, so okay, when cool. they do get to the parents' house, that's when this movie goes from maybe there's a narrative here to there definitely isn't, and this is a abstract and this is abstract cinema. So, like, at the parents' house, it's sort of like the running theme of this movie from the very beginning is that Jesse Buckley, the young woman, never really wants to be there, like not just not at the parents' house, but at the very from the very beginning, she's saying she wants to break off this relationship, but she just doesn't know how, and she doesn't know why she's fighting with herself to figure out why she wants to break it off because it doesn't feel right, but at the same time, she doesn't know like. She doesn't have a reason to break up with her boyfriend. So she's fighting with herself about this. And then they go to the parents' house uh, to her boyfriend's parents' house and the entire time she's just put off by his parents so she keeps saying she wants to leave. And then after they get out of their parents hu- out of his parents' house, they start driving back, but he but Jake keeps taking detours. Jake is the boyfriend and she keeps saying that she wants to get home because she has to work in the morning or something she has she has lots of excuses depending on the time and the context basically like this is a movie about jesse buckley's character well jesse buckley's character in this movie just doesn't want to be where she is
1: yeah and Um, we're we're, yeah she's she's a she's our audience i guess surrogate is that what you call it Kind of. we, yeah. we, we kind of follow her because she's she's very much exploring this new like the parents place. She's discovering like like not everything seems right in this world. Um, and we're given multiple hints of it at the start where she'll notice things that the Jesse Plemons character uh, doesn't. And she will find things that are odd that no one else finds odd. So it's, uh, but, but also she never overreacts. So it's hard to say, but yeah, it's a, it's a pretty, I I think she was a great actress to follow. Honestly, she did a very solid job of like what she was doing. And, um, I, I thought Jesse Plemons was pretty good too. And being, uh, a kind of mysterious character, um, he seems to get kind of typecasted for that. Like, have you seen his other roles?
0: a few none exactly come to mind but like the moment I see him on screen I think of the guy that he played in Breaking Bad who is like a kind of a mysterious on the outside he looks fine but he's actually a psychopath
1: yeah like okay I've seen him in Breaking Bad he was in Fargo season two uh he was in that episode of Black Mirror uh I think there was one more. I can't remember. But he usually he always plays this kind of innocent guy on the outside, but really creepy and kind of murdery underlayer that could pop out at any time. And um honestly it, it works every time for him. Like
0: he's I great guess not
1: I, so I much in Fargo, but like yeah, he it's kind of a typecast, but I, I'm not tired of it yet. He does an insanely good job every time. And even this, I think this movie kind of the meta casting works in that I'm already expecting just from what I've seen of his character and how disturbing he's been in some cases, I'm already expecting his character to be sort of messed up from the very beginning. So like, I mean, I don't think the movie really needed that because the movie spends a lot of time kind of developing and revealing that about him. But You know, like, yeah, it it made it made for technically very efficient storytelling because, yeah, that was my assumption from
0: I think that actually helped a lot because um, I the first thing I noticed about this movie, once there was more than two characters on screen, is that everyone except Jesse Buckley is well known as either a horror actor, like in recent memory is well known as either a horror actor or like someone who's played an extremely creepy character. Because we've got Jesse Clements, who we just talked about is typecast to be exactly that. There was Tony Collette, whose most recent high profile role was in Hereditary, um, the horror movie by, what's his name? Avi Arad? I don't remember his name. Um, mm,
1: Astrid. Avi Astrid.
0: Yes. And um, then there was David Thulis, who I believe played Remus Lupin, but the thing that I know him best for is uh he played the most unsettling character in fargo season three
1: yeah i was gonna say that too and Mm -hmm. it works it also works really well here it's almost like the same character but just different
0: except the i guess the main difference is that in this movie he is not actually technically evil He's just really creepy and gross.
1: Yeah, but like I, like I could have just looked at him from the start and been like, "That guy is creepy and gross." (laughs) Like I didn't need his. I didn't even need his because just the way he, he has a very intro. Because like obviously, I think the the actor himself isn't like he he seems like a very good guy, but the way he's able to smile in some of these scenes is like it kind of makes my skin in a crawl and yeah. he's very good at it. And he did the same thing in Fargo as well where it was just like the look of his face you just like you, you don't feel good. But yeah, like amazing acting across across the whole the whole cast. Even though the, like the cast wasn't really that big because again, a lot of the movie was just these two people talking in a car, hmm. which you know, I I didn't love, but I did really like the writing in some parts of it. Like I, I found myself really bored, but it definitely felt it was, it was probably the most like, it, it kind of reminds me how in, in hateful eight, I remember for the first act uh, you have these guys are just sitting in this chariot talking for, I want to say it's like in like 40 minutes, 45 minutes at least
0: it and might even be a full hour.
1: Yeah. And that was probably the most Tarantino esque thing I will ever see. And, uh, it, and, but in, in that case, it worked. In this case, it felt like Kaufman was kind of going the same route. I don't think his just due, like, I don't think his writing suffers. It, it's more that the circumstances of the conversation aren't very, you know, a, I, I aren't as well able to really keep up the momentum of the movie which might have been like the point of it it's a very because the whole movie is very dry and very off offbeat and that might have been the point is that because it just felt like for these scenes Kaufman had a bunch of thoughts on his mind and he really wanted to get his characters to to talk about these things and it was like he was like it was like a self-therapeutic thing because uh I've noticed that Kaufman I mean, this is a, an assumption, but Kaufman has a very disturbed mind from his writing. And uh, yeah, all of, all of this stuff, like every conversation, I, I could just feel him, his writing and like his mind behind each each line because these were very uh, – because I, 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 I love the ambition of the conversations. They were very deep topics to undertake within a movie. Um, it's just I don't really understand what their place was in the whole thing other than kind of setting the tone. And sort of, uh, I guess, leaning the audience into kind of getting like they're they're expecting these topics to kind of have some relevance to the movie. And I think they do that. They do that in a way, but it's not enough to really stick.
0: I think it is going to be very hard, hard for me to talk about this movie without talking about the ending. Uh, I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to, like, talk about exactly what the ending is right away. But I'm going to say at this point that if you're interested in watching this movie, um, you should watch it first and then come back because this is this is your spoiler warning because I am going to spoil the ending of the book here. Uh, So if you're if you're interested in reading the book without spoilers, well, this is this is where you need to drop off. I'm going to spoil the ending of the book here, and I may spoil parts of the movie. So that's that's your last warning. So uh, it turns out so in the book. at the end of the book, the young woman discovers that she doesn't exist, and that she is in fact just a, just also Jake, which is Jesse Plemons' character. And so, the reason I bring this up now is because I think that that informs the way that those conversations play out in the in the car, because these conversations they mostly they're. Point, if you don't know that from the book, is that they're just basically showing how these people like Jake and the young woman are able to they can talk about a lot of things and they can have really deep conversations, but they don't see eye to eye on things like even though they know enough to talk to each other on each other's level, they like keep they get into fights pretty easily. Like, this is a relationship that isn't necessarily dying, but it's maybe not a good one, just because, like, they keep... They 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 just have constant tension, right? Mm-hmm. But what's interesting, if you do know that, is that a lot of those conversations, one person, like, the the young woman's... What the young woman is saying, or what, like, either Jake will be saying stuff from musicals he knows... Or the young woman will literally be reciting actual, like, works that exist in real life that Jesse Plemons's character, Jake, could have conceivably read. So, like, there's, mm. uh, there's one conversation they have about the movie called, um, oh, what is it called? It's A Woman Under the Influence.
1: Is that a real movie, it, by the way?
0: That is a real movie. Okay, cool. And it was a very well-received movie. But there was notably one person, uh, one reviewer, Pauline Kale, who really hated it. And the young woman in this goes on a monologue about how a woman under the influence, uh, like basically why it's not a great movie, essentially. And her entire monologue is taken directly from Pauline Kale's review of the film.
1: Oh, I see. Oh, yeah. So and that kind of feeds into the the theory I guess not the theory but like what the the movie's implying
0: and and there's a couple of different scenes like that like where Jake will either recite something that turns out to just be lines from Oklahoma or where Jesse Buckley uh, will she'll recite a poem that isn't that's like ostensibly her own but is actually just taken from somewhere else like these are just real things that have been inserted into her dialogue so like I think that's kind of interesting because with that, the movie never makes it explicit, but like she is to some like this is what sort of feeds into her being just a figment of Jake's imagination. He's just imagining her saying things that he's already heard, because he's not going to imagine original convers like original monologues because he would have to imagine a different opinion, which he can't have.
1: Yeah, that's true. I that that's. That reminds me a lot of like his his, I guess writing in Eternal Sunshine, and that he's he's capturing uh, a relatively basic, uh, I guess psychological action, and that like like cre- creating like ima- imagining things, right? And he's he's basically putting that process onto film and like kind of deep diving into it. Um, through the use of film t- so that the audience can better understand it, I guess. that mm. makes sense. So, and
0: um, yeah. that's, this movie does that a lot. Like most of this movie either is or could be imagined. Uh, particularly in the parents' house is where I notice it the most. Because as after dinner, uh, which is extremely awkward and just mm. not fun to sit through, uh, the young woman walks around the house... And as she's walking around the house, she interacts with Jake's parents throughout time. Like, she'll walk into a room, and there's Jake's dad, who just a minute ago was a young spry man of probably no more than 65. And now he's, you know, 82, suffering from early onset dementia, trying to get her a bed. And then she walks downstairs, and or I meant she walks across the hall, and there's Jake's mom, also extremely old. And then she walks downstairs. Jake's mom is, you know, in her 30s, picking up toys. She goes downstairs, comes back up. His mom's dead. His, his dad comes in. He's in his 30s now. And, like, she's imagining an entire life with this person, piecemeal in different ways. Like in different situations, all in one night, all in the same house, and it's very strange, upsetting, and like sort of hard to parse.
1: Yeah, honestly, it was very hard for me to watch. I uh I can't remember the last time a movie a movie has made me feel that uncomfortable. Yeah, and, uh, uh, like in like in not in a like a horror way where it was it was very psychologically. I'm comfortable because there wasn't really necessarily anything. Because I think very much at the start, you're kind of led to believe that this is going to devolve into a horror movie, where you have a lot of the common horror elements sort of set up. When when they enter the place, like lots of mystery. They you know, the he says you can't go into the basement. The parents are acting crazy. Uh, she's in the middle of nowhere in a blizzard. Like it feels very much like this is going to turn into like almost like a slasher thriller or something. But, and, but like nothing, I don't think anything like that could have been as disturbing as, as what we saw and, and just how, cause it it was confusing and it was overwhelming and there was just so many, uh, and like the, the themes it was, it was, it was tackling a lot of themes of just like life and age and death and, in life and it was it was very deep it was a very deep and it, it all happens in like 20 minutes i want to say it's a, it's a relatively short part of the movie but it's a very intense experience and i will there's not many movies that made me feel that much i guess in such a short period
0: same time uh we have the issue where she's sort of going through she and the audience to a degree are sort of going through this crisis of identity where every time she's introduced which is often because the dad is suffering from dementia half the time uh she's introduced with a different name and her job is different and a couple of times the story of how she met jake is different but she always knows what's going on like um she's first introduced as lucy then later on, she's Yvonne, Lucia, Louisa, all sorts of these things. Um, and then the first thing that she's introduced is as is an artist. But then very quickly it turns out that she's a college student going to college for quantum physics, which like doesn't mean she couldn't also be an artist, but then later on, she's a waitress uh, named Yvonne. and their, and the story of how they met was either at a bar, Uh, at trivia, or later on, it's because she is because Jake asked her about a burger special because she's a waitress. It's so really the most creepy thing about this comes from the fact that we're already seeing weird situations that are just really uncomfortable, plus the fact that the only anchor we have to this world, who is Jesse Buckley's character, who's like supposed to be the audience surrogate. Suddenly, like, we don't know anything. Suddenly, every time she shows up in frame, we know less about her than we just did. So, like, the only safety that we have in this world is taken away from us at the same time as it's as Charlie Kaufman is showing us disturbing scenes over and over again.
1: Yeah, it's a good combination, <laughs> especially because like you're eventually you're just kind of thrust into like the only person you could trust in the movie is like jesse plemons
0: i don't want to trust
1: this guy yeah Yeah. and i
0: can't ever trust him because the main character never does
1: exactly but then he he's basically the only semi-reliable narrator or a character in the movie like he's, he's he's consistent at least right
0: yeah, so, until the very end of the movie when everything goes insane. He never changes age. He's always named Jake. His story is always consistent. So, like, he's the only consistent character despite the fact that, like, I don't want him to be.
1: Yeah, and I I don't know. And that's that's after that. Is just, like, when the movie really devolves into craziness. And I, I, I still don't under... And I, I like okay. I kind of get it, but also I don't really care for that. I guess um, because there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of like very extreme symbolism. I guess like for example, you have the scene at the the ice cream shop, and that was very much. We're kind of we're kind of past the point where the movie is trying to pretend like it's in the real world. Like, cause I feel like at first they were sort of make, trying to make it feel grounded, but then like, yeah, after the parents place, then it's just like, all right, this is nothing's real. Let's go. And it was like the, the, the ice cream shop was like a symbolism for like, I don't even know, man, but it, it felt so vivid to me because it was a, this one this place in the middle of the nowhere, and it kind of like symbolizes, I guess, his innocence of uh, Jesse Plemons' innocence, Jake, I guess, or something like that. It was, it was, yeah. I I don't understand it. Do you want to talk more about that? What I don't oh, understand,
0: I, I don't know that I fully understood what was going on at the ice cream shop. Okay. Um, so, gosh, okay. It symbolizes Jesse Plemons' innocence, but like. How? Not that it can't. I kind of see it. I just don't fully understand how to, what to feel about it. Cause it's, it's a very weird scene. They go to this ice cream shop in the middle of a blizzard and get ice cream. And the first two people that they're served by, like just sit there. And they're just, they're these two teenage girls that instead of serving them ice cream or even interacting with Jesse Buckley they just sit there and sort of stare longingly at, J- at Jake, uh, Jesse Clemens And then a girl comes up with a rash on her arm who Jesse Buckley says, I know this girl, I've seen her before. And they never expand on that. And then she makes, makes them ice cream and tells her that and tells Jesse Buckley that they're in danger. And that if she doesn't want to, she doesn't have to go forward in time, which makes it, which like I didn't know what to think of this because like it's not a time travel movie, uh, and it's not a movie where like she could decide to just go into a previous time instead or something. Is it like she should leave Jake maybe? But in how far and what does that have to do with you? Don't have to go forward in time. And also, who is this girl? I really don't know. Like the the ice cream scene was as you said very symbolic, but I don't fully understand what it was symbolic of.
1: Yeah, because I I sort of get the ending, like, like I understand the ending was supposed to uh, represent him uh, like he, he lives in that school he's supposed to be the janitor I guess, right? I think so. I think that's what the movie was implying, he's kind of looking back on his life and he's like, oh, what if it was this way or maybe that way or something like that but that that scene in particular it felt like have you seen that movie uh it's a horror movie and these the characters go through the seven layers of hell or something like that it's like and it's placed in the paris catacombs it's a horror movie i can't remember the name it's not uh, da- like it's down on like something down under anyways it felt very much like uh like like a section of like the supernatural world where they were stopping especially yeah with the the talk about there's a there's a stench in the back and it was like everything about it was just so weird and for a movie that was already kind of messed up and like really everything didn't really feel like it made sense this this was like by far the most conflict like by far the most confusing thing for me because even at least everything else makes sense together but then this was like a whole other thing. I have no
0: idea. Sorry, that was you were still talking about the ice cream, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, I was. But
0: yeah, that's that's yeah. the one part that I really don't know how to make sense of.
1: Yeah, but I mean, like, I don't know. There's okay. I was gonna say there's a lot of good in this movie. I I can't really. Uh, I I'm not a fan of movies I don't understand basically, and I think it's a little. I'm kind of disappointed. I, I wish Kaufman chose a slightly more, I, I guess, mainstream format of telling this. Cause I think that I, I love that idea of this girl's kind of trapped in this guy's imag- imagination and she doesn't really understand what's going on. And he's kind of switching things constantly. I just don't feel the presentation style was there and it was way too vague. And, Uh, a little it was pretty pretentious especially towards the end I was just kind of like this is this is gross
0: pretty pretentious I think that like the pretentious the biggest the the most pretentious parts were definitely the the conversations I thought Um, because like having an entire monologue about the movie a woman under the influence that's taken from a, a high well I don't know if this is the right term but like a high level reviewer like okay but also like that I haven't seen a woman under the influence and I certainly haven't analyzed it to that degree. And I doubt that half of the actual audience has. Um, and then of course, like it, it gets, I thought that like near the ending, near the, I, I, I liked it a lot more near the ending. Um, Cause it, Hmm. What do I want to say with this? This is, I kind of felt like this movie was baby's first abstract cinema. Like that's not, <laughs> I'm I'm not saying that as a diss on Charlie Kaufman. I actually mean that kind of as praise on him because like when I'm talking about babies first, I'm talking about me. Like I liked this movie because it was abstract the same way that Mulholland Drive was, but I mostly understood it or at least I have a reading of this movie that I feel like is acceptable. Like I I can watch this movie again and there's plenty more for me to analyze if I want to. But like having watched this movie, once it makes enough sense to me, where like with Mulholland Drive, I would have to watch that movie at least four times before I even had an idea of what was going on.
1: Yeah, and, so like, I guess it's a little better. Maybe. Yeah, so
0: like this, this one with this movie, like, and also I felt like this movie made it a lot clearer, like, it made it clear a lot earlier that it's an abstract movie and that, and exactly how to watch it, like. Very early on, I stopped thinking that this was a movie that I needed to see, how, how the events play out and in, and in what order. And I just started focusing on scenes, which is why the fact that the Dairy Queen scene, because that's essentially what that was, the ice cream scene, it doesn't bother me as much as it could because while I don't understand it, and it doesn't make to me as much sense in the rest of the con- in the context of everything else, as everything else does, I don't mind it as much because I viewed this movie more as a collection of scenes than as one narrative. So if I want to just like in my mind, throw out a scene, it doesn't affect the movie that much.
1: Yeah, that's fair. You you do. You really do need to take a very different stance to enjoy. Because Okay. I think this movie would actually be really cool to watch like in sections. Like I, I would totally be, I think I could, properly focus on these car scenes that are, like, 30 minutes long if I wasn't watching the whole thing at once. Because it it just kind of drags after a while, right? But, like, the scene itself is, like, sort of interesting. And, like, it would be cool as, like, for maybe, like, a TV show if they did this where um, it's, like, it was a lot shorter and I know it's just one episode, right? But this was, Mm -hmm. like, a little too much. And it's kind of unfortunate. I really feel, like... Kaufman has a lot of potential within his directing and his writing. Cause I, I love, I think his, in terms of direct, ah, okay. Maybe not, but I, I like, I like the idea of him directing his own stuff. And I feel like he has a potential, like he, this is Charlie Kaufman seems like the type of person that could put out a masterpiece if in the given, in the right given circumstances. And I was really hoping this would be it but in my opinion, it wasn't. But I don't know how much more he really cares about improving his craft in either of these things because, like, um, you know, I, he's, he's a pretty old guy. I think he's pretty fine with, like, with what he does. Because he's, like, by all means, he's, like, he's a great director and writer, but I just wish he could put out one amazing movie that completely blows my mind. Adaptation was close. I just wish he directed it, I guess
0: synecdoche New York?
1: Oh, that's true. I haven't seen that. I need to watch that. I heard that is really good. So I
0: have his masterpiece.
1: Oh, okay, cool. Maybe I should watch that next then. So, yeah. Well, in that case, well, especially cuz like I think maybe he was maybe he's had this story for a while, but then uh, given that he got to work with Netflix, he saw this as a big chance because I I highly doubt any studio would have picked this up. Because Charlie Kaufman is already kind of a risky pick for for making money. And this was like a whole new level of, like if this was released in theaters, I'm pretty sure it would have bombed pretty hard. And it never, that's the thing, it never would have been released in theaters. I'm very sure of that.
0: What you were saying earlier about you wish this was a TV series, have you seen the show Maniac?
1: I Yeah, I have. Very amazing I- show.
0: I think that Maniac is basically this as a TV series. It's quite different, but like if you were to make the, if you were to adapt, to adapt this movie into a TV series instead, it would be very close to Maniac. Really? Because that's I, what Maniac is, is like bottle episodes that are bizarre and indirectly, and only indirectly have anything to do with each other.
1: But they work really cool together. Exactly. Yeah. I personally, um, I always thought of Maniac more of uh, uh, similar to Eternal Sunshine. I think they're very, very similar in, in, yes. in terms of uh, in terms of writing and the the general idea and the themes and stuff. Uh, yeah, but yeah, both. both I, I'd say those those styles are pretty similar. I think I prefer. I might be biased, but I really, I do, I really do love the the way. I think it's Fukunaga. He ta- the way he tackles he tackles it a little because I think he is more willing to accept mainstream some more mainstream uh writing and to to uh to be more popular right whereas Kaufman's is very much an uncompromising artist from what I can tell he he will write his script and you will either like they either take it or they don't
0: so I could be wrong about this but the way I see it like Kaufman is very detail oriented in the writing where Kerry Fukunaga is very detail oriented in the visuals like they both are excellent. Like they're both, they both write very well and are able to compose a really nice shot. But with Kerry Fukunaga, like even I even think even in the first it movie, which he was no longer involved in after a certain point, the influence of Carrie Fukunaga is felt, especially in just the way that like scenes are put together. Um, and obviously it isn't the best example because he wasn't involved in that by the time it went to production. But like, even in maniac, I found that like the visual details were, there's always something to discover visually and the visual details are where a lot of the subtlety is, or like, that's where a lot of the, not subtlety, that's where a lot of the, like, you can learn a lot more about the movie just by watching for those tiny visual details. Where in Charlie Kaufman, it's like, listen for exactly how characters are talking to each other. Not that visual details aren't a thing as well. But, like, it's more in the writing and the subtleties of that writing that, like, you they, you end up revealing more about the characters, if that makes sense. I don't know if you agree.
1: Yeah, no, I I definitely agree. I would definitely say... Like, that's the thing, is, like, I, I think... Well, okay, I still haven't seen... Uh, synecdoche new york so again i can't say completely but i yeah i do think he's uh kaufman's missing a little bit of that expertise in directing that fukunaga so clearly has in my opinion but like i would also say yeah fukunaga is a, a better director than he is a writer even though they're both amazing at what they do
0: it would be nice to see them collaborate so that's the second time we've called Thank for you. charlie kaufman to collaborate with someone he will never collaborate <laughs> wait with. Who was the first one we said Christopher Nolan write a Charlie oh. Kaufman movie, please.
1: Okay, yeah, I, that that will hundred percent never happen.
0: Actually, I could, but-
1: I could potentially, I I would, I would hundred percent see Fukunaga and Kaufman happening way more than Nolan and Kaufman though.
0: Oh, absolutely. I don't think it will, but I could see it.
1: Yeah. Nolan because- and
0: Kaufman won't happen.
1: No, probably not. Frowny face.
0: Um. So I guess like, what what did you think of this movie overall? then i'm like what would you oh, give it
1: this is tough this is okay i'm gonna be honest this was a tough month in terms of movies for me just because uh two of my favorite like kaufman is one of my favorite writers and i like very recently honestly um like i, I basically kind of discovered him this summer and then nolan who was like my first like favorite directors slash writer um they both released movies like a week apart from each other and i was massively disappointed in both of them
0: they both released movies that were heavily up their own ass
1: yeah (laughs) that's the best way to say it yeah this was peak of both of them Uh and i uh like yeah i uh i i i admire Kaufman very much so like a lot of this is kind of i think maybe affecting it my like my my view of it i i enjoyed it i almost kind of want to watch it again but i know i'd watch it for like 20 minutes and then like not care again so but it's it's a very interesting movie and i can't take that away from it and i want to say in terms of like if i was comparing like this type of movie cuz like again the only other director I know of who makes movies like this is David Lynch I I prefer I think this the way Kaufman did it I think uh just because I like I like the way he writes his characters and his dialogue more and uh and his themes but like yeah I just I can't say I like this movie in like really any way I I think it showed a lot of in a potential and some possible interest but so overall i think it's i'm gonna be honest like i, I if you can't understand like 70 percent of a movie from the first watch i don't think and like that goes for most people i don't think that's really a good movie because it's very easy to make or okay not very easy but you can and a lot of people can make art that no one else really understands but like uh i think Great works of art, which Kaufman is has done in the past and is cap- very well capable of doing, uh, are much better in that they can be understood by most people, yet they inspire lots of thought at the same time, and they're very complex. Mm. So they are a very good translation of the directors and the writers' ideas uh, to the audience. So for that, like, I because I, I don't like I don't like it when when directors do it like this. And so I'd probably give it like a two, maybe a three, Um, like good acting, good, good directing, honestly, in a lot of the cases, just, I, yeah, I didn't understand it. And I think it it weakens the movie a lot.
0: Well, then this is the most we've ever disagreed on a movie then.
1: Wow. Wow, Why? You're going, I,
0: I really liked this movie. Like, I'm, I'm a huge fan of abstract art. Like I, to me, um, I like seeing, so there, I guess there's a scene, there's a scene in this movie early, early on, where they're actually talking about abstract art because uh, the young woman is revealed to be a painter. And um, immediately David Thulis the father, uh, uh, says, Oh, you're not one of those modern artists, are you? You know, the, I can do that. Anyone can do that. You know, you draw something on, a, you, you you draw a line and call it a day or whatever. And that's, anyone can do that. That's just not interesting. And like, that's a really common criticism of abstract art, but like there's a lot that goes into that kind of art. And while those types of things tend to be very personal for the artist. And I think that to some degree, as you said, that's kind of the biggest weakness. Like if you make a very personal movie, that means a lot to you, but doesn't mean anything to anyone else or like even a, any, any work of art that you make that means a lot to you, but doesn't mean any, but like no one else is getting anything from it. That's not good. But on the other hand, like this movie was not what, I don't know how to say this. Like it wasn't, It wasn't nice and easy to follow by any means. But just the way that it was put together was, you know, similar. It was similar to abstract art in that it wasn't, um, well, yeah, it wasn't something that is probably going to get a a lot of, any most mainstream movie watchers are not going to like this movie. And I'm not putting myself above them by saying I did. But, like, this is not a friendly movie. No one, this isn't made to, it's almost like this is, this, is, this movie was made and Charlie Kaufman is like, if you like it, that's good, but I kind of don't care. Because if he did care, he would have made a different movie. Even being John Malkovich is a much easier movie to watch than this because it has a plot. But what I found with this is like, because of the way that it's structured, it's, it's structured, like I said, very abstractly and almost more as a collection of scenes than as a narrative. But I think that Charlie Kaufman does a really good job of making that clear fairly early on so that as long as you can divorce yourself from the idea of following a story, I thought this movie actually hit harder than a lot of movies with a narrative, because I guess the way that I was saying this to my mom the other day on the phone is the way that we as people remember things and the way that we like try and think back on stuff is we'll like take memories and we'll construct them into some kind of order. And then we can play out a story in our heads. And maybe that's how things were. And maybe that's not how they were, but that that's how we remember things. And and that's how movies are structured because our brains like that. Like I want to see a story that's easy to follow. That is a sequence of events that I can understand because that's easy for me to do. Like that's easy for me to make sense of. And then I have seen something nice that I can think about. But like the way that we actually think about things, the way our minds actually work in the moment is, you know, I'll have a thought and then I'll follow that thought for a bit and then I'll move on to something else and think about something else for a while. And maybe that thought comes back or maybe it doesn't and I'll go on to something else. And that's kind of the way that this movie worked is like this movie was structured kind of the way that our brains actually work because in a way we're following what we're following this young woman who is either trapped in her own mind or a construct of someone else's mind who is experiencing that mind as she's figuring it out and so that's why we end up in all of these weird situations because that's the way a brain normally works and that's what I got out of this movie you know not even delving into different interpretations of the actual scenes, but just because of the way that it was, I found the way that it was structured just fascinating. And because of that, I thought that a lot of the scenes were either scarier than they had any right to be, or more emotional than they had any right to be, or, you know, all of the things hit harder just because I felt like they were more real despite this being an extremely surreal movie. So for me, it's an eight out of ten. Easy.
1: Wow, that's uh, that's pretty good. Okay, I will say I respect I respect the movie's ambition, and I guess I'm discounting a lot of the fact that it did make me feel things I don't usually feel, which is you know that's pretty rare for a movie. So I I, I will say even though I don't rate it that highly, I respect the craft behind and the ambition behind it, and. It had, some, it had some good moments. It was just, yeah, they weren't often enough. But you're right in that, like, this is a movie I probably won't forget for a while. And that's that's impressive in its own right, even though objectively, I don't think I would, like, rate it that high.
0: Like, I understand anyone who wouldn't rate this movie nearly as high as I would, because, like I said, without any judgment on the person watching the movie, this is not a friendly movie to watch. Like yeah. this movie almost doesn't want you to watch it.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that. It, it really pushes. I was like, again, with the car thing, like it's really like it feels like a test where it's just like if you can't get through this car scene and this really boring dialogue that doesn't entirely always make sense, then you don't deserve to watch the rest of the movie. But it's also like you won't be able to like really care about the rest of it too. It's like you're right. It's like it kind of dares you. It's just like turn it off. Like go ahead. Like you're gonna miss out on it.
0: word for sitting through this car dialogue is that you will get to see if, if you if you sit through the whole thing and you're a good boy, then you get to see a dance sequence at the end. That dance sequence yeah. will make no <laughs> sense to you, but you'll get to see it.
1: Yeah, and it's not uh, not the okay. Actually. It was kind of an interesting, like objectively, if this was like, if that was an isolated dance, I would, I would kind of like it. It would, it would be kind of cool, but uh, in the context of the movie, maybe not. I don't
0: know. Yeah. In the con it was, I feel like there's other movies I've seen. I can't think of exactly which one, but like the dance sequence reminded me a little bit of one other movie, which again, I can't think of what it was, but near the end of the movie, in in real life, they actually ran out of the production budget. So they just like co- cobbled together, like everything that they had written as the se- as the ending, they cobbled together into like, something entirely different. Oh, okay. I don't know if, if that's actually the story behind it. But one example of this is Big Man Japan, which I don't know if you've seen, but it's about a guy who can in Japan, who can turn giant and fight monsters. And at the very end of the movie, it just kind of seems like the movie gives up and it's like, all right, here's the rest of the movie as a puppet show. And that's what the ending of this movie seemed like to me.
1: Or it reminded me of. Yeah. Was there puppets in this movie? I want to say there was a puppet scene. I don't know why.
0: I don't believe there was.
1: Okay, never mind. That totally feels like something that would have happened, though. I don't know.
0: It does feel like it would have been right at home in this movie, though.
1: Yeah. Anyways, uh, like interesting movie not to say the least I, I ended up having a lot more to say about than I, I expected
0: yeah and, we expected uh, this to be a short episode and it might have been longer than long the last than one actually
1: I yeah. But yeah but i'd say e- like either way i'm very excited to see what charlie kaufman does next this this did not uh, turn me off from him it's kind of like i feel like this is kind of like what you ask for if you're a fan of him
0: i just hooked him up while we were uh... While we were talking, I looked up Charlie Kaufman and this year he released his debut novel, which is called Ant Kind, which he specifically wrote to be unfilmable. And it's about people making an impossible movie. So like, I don't know what that means because I haven't read the book yet. But like, it seems to me like at the moment, based on this movie and that book, it sounds to me like he's currently interested in exploring like the limits of what is and is not unfilmable. So I don't know what that's going to mean for his next movie, but I have a feeling his next movie is going to be something very strange. I don't know if it's going to be very strange in this, in the same way as this movie, but like I would imagine it's going to be something else that he would have in a, in a past, past life considered unfilmable.
1: Yeah. I, I don't doubt that it will be very confusing. And I, well, we'll see. I guess we'll see what happens with Netflix. But I would not be surprised if Netflix is willing to take on Kaufman. Um, I don't know. Do you think this will be? A, a, I mean, if there is even a proper award season, do you think this will have any chance of winning anything?
0: Has potential, just because I don't really know what it's up against at the moment. I'm not sure what I would put it up for. Like, this might get. Either adapted, like I can see this potentially going adapted screenplay, maybe director, and very slim chance. Well, no, actually, probably a better chance than director. Jesse Buckley could get could get awards for this one.
1: Best actress. Yeah, uh, I could I see that I, too.
0: I think if anything, I see this as going for adapted screenplay.
1: Yeah, I can agree. It, it felt kind of something like something the Oscars would sort of enjoy. I'm not, and he has won best screenplay in the past, so it wouldn't be yeah. surprising. Because yeah, if if anything, that's I don't I don't know how much Netflix cares about streams as much as they want to legitimize themselves as a studio that can win Oscars, which is why they've been taking on, uh, you know, like Spike Lee and uh, who's the other guy, the Martin Does Scorsese. In? Sorry.
0: Doesn't David Fincher have one coming? To oh yeah,
1: in? David Fincher too. Like. They're, they're really lining up, lining it up just because, and these are like, these aren't cheap movies. They're really letting it go with these directors Mm -hmm. and sometimes, you know, it it doesn't turn out for the greatest, but they just, they, they are looking to, to be seen as a, a studio that, that freak is like frequently capable of making Oscar worthy movies. So if, if this is nominated, I don't doubt that they will try to do something else with Kaufman.
0: Oh yeah, I think and I think that Kaufman is a great fit for Netflix because like as you already said, he's not traditionally profitable. No. But he makes great movies and Netflix and Netflix puts out enough stuff that they probably have the money to just throw at people to make good movies for them.
1: Yeah, they like again, they're not really There's a reason they were able to give Martin Scorsese what was it like 200 million dollars for a a 3 hour very slow gangster movie like that mm-hmm. couldn't happen outside of Netflix oh, or maybe no. Amazon but i i don't even think Amazon would go for that
0: the budget of the irishman was as much as 250 million dollars it's listed as somewhere between 159 and 250
1: yeah million. so like
0: <laughs> and the box office was 8 million dollars yeah because like netflix doesn't the box office doesn't apply to netflix so it could still have mm-hmm. been successful
1: yeah just keep in mind that this is like that's like what avengers cost, at least the first one you know yeah so and this is for a again a slow gangster movie so you know so pretty impressive but yeah anyways really cool of netflix for doing that interesting movie uh jeff what's your final thought
0: yeah, is come back to talk about bill and ted
1: Oh, yeah. Next week's Bill and Ted. Perfect.